This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Griel Marcus has a new book out. I think it's his best. It's called Folk Music, a Bob Dylan biography in seven songs. Griel, of course, is the author of many books from the classic Mystery Train to the recent book Under the Red, White and Blue, the one about the great Gatsby that we talked about here. He's co-editor of A New Literary History of America, 200 essays, 1,100 pages. And he's also written the column Real Life Rock for the past 35 years, starting at the Village Voice and more recently at the LA Review of Books. The collection, More Real Life Rock, The Wilderness Years, featuring 73 columns from 2014 to 2021, was just published. We reached him today at home in Oakland. Griel, welcome back. So good to be with you again. Well, this new book is not a conventional biography. As Joyce Carol Oates says on the back cover, it combines the most candid sort of memoirist prose with truly inspired comments on the songs. And I would add some amazing true stories along the way. The first song in this biography of Bob Dylan is Blowing in the Wind from 1962. How many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? We all learned to play it and sing it, but you say it was your least favorite track on the album, The Freewheeling Bob Dylan. And you say that almost 50 years later, you still didn't like the song. Why not? Well, you know, against so many remarkable things uh, on his first album, it seemed tepid. The melody seemed simpering. The song seemed pious. It seemed to talk down in a way. It just put me off there. And it also seemed so obvious. You know, it was a song about the civil rights movement. And, you know, why is why are some people treated badly? Isn't this terrible? It just struck me that there wasn't much there. But then, after more than 50 years, you changed your mind about blowing in the wind. Please explain. Well, you know, it, it was sort of the context changed my mind. I was asked to write an afterword for a children's book of the song for little children. And the idea was that an artist would depict the images from the song and the lyrics would run at the bottom of the page and there'd be a CD of the song bound into the book. But it was really for six-year-olds. That's what it was about. So I'm supposed to write an essay, a very short essay, for six-year-olds, you know, kids who just learned how to read or are still learning. And I listened to the song, I listened to the song, and I tried to think, well, what is a six-year-old or a seven-year-old going to be hearing when they listen to this song? And I realized that for a very young person, it might be describing a world that was utterly strange to them that didn't make sense that you know was opening doors that 
they'd never even perceived war doors. And the song be began to grow as I listened to it. It became not obvious. It became a struggle. How do I get this point across? And I wrote a paragraph about how when this song was written, Black Americans, and I left it at that, um, you know, weren't allowed in many parts of the country to vote for president. They weren't allowed to go to movies. You never saw their faces on television. Um, they, they weren't uh, allowed to make a decent living. They couldn't live where they wanted to live. And I said, you know, things are different now, but this was your country. This was your parents or your grandparents' lives. This really happened. And, and then I imagined a kid saying, but the song doesn't talk about any of those things. There's nothing in the song about black people can't live where they want to live or vote for president or any of that stuff. And I said, well, you know, that's right. This is what I wrote. That's because Bob Dylan was able to write about one thing in words that could be about many, many other things, too. There are people in this song. There are birds. There are mountains. There's the ocean. There's wind. There are questions and there are answers. Why is the world the way it is? Why is there war, cruelty, and hate? Will this ever change? And so today, when people feel that they are not free, when people feel they're being treated unfairly, whenever they know that people only see what they look like and not who they really are, they can listen to blowing in the wind and they can say, yes, I am in that song. That song is about me too. And so now, you know, I hear the song completely differently. I love, I love hearing other people sing it. I love to hear what they do with it, how they get it, how they miss it. It's alive. In the rest of this chapter, you talk about many other performances of the song by lots of people. Of course, it started out as a hit for Peter, Paul, and Mary. They sang it at the March on Washington in 1963. Odetta sang it, and Sam Cooke, and the Staple Singers, and I didn't know, Marianne Faithful, Marlena Dietrich sang it in German. I didn't know that Elvis sang it. You found a tape of Elvis singing it at his house in Bel Air in 1966. And of course, Dylan himself sang it many times. One of the greatest things Bob Dylan ever did was write the book Chronicles Volume 1, which was published back in 2004. And there he writes about how in the 1980s, quote, my fame was immense, could fill a football stadium, but I felt done for, an empty, burned-out wreck, close quote. It was in that era that he sang Blowing in the Wind for the biggest uh, live audience probably he ever had. This was at Live Aid in 1985, fundraising for famine in Ethiopia. He sang at a JFK stadium in Philadelphia. Uh, with a live audience of 89,000 people. Maybe that was the football stadium he referred to in Chronicles. He sang with Keith Richards and Ron Wood of the Rolling Stones, all playing acoustic guitars. They were introduced by Jack Nicholson. What was that performance of Blown in the Wind like? Well, it was absolutely awful. They seemed unsure of themselves. They seemed as if they didn't really want to be there. They looked terrible. Dylan looked as bad as he's ever looked. And he's had some 
bad look periods, which has nothing to do with being old or gaining or losing weight or anything like that. It's just, you know, the soul or the lack of it coming through his face in a given moment. And this was a bad moment. At one point, Dylan breaks a string on his guitar. Ron Wood hands Dylan his guitar and goes ahead and plays air guitar. Ron Wood of the Rolling Stones playing air guitar to Blown in the Wind. And it was just a shambles. What was so fascinating to find out was that a tape of the rehearsal that Ron Woods and Keith Richard and Bob Dylan had done before the show, where they're trying to work out an arrangement of the song. How are we going to do this? What's it about? And there's just this fantastic camaraderie between them. And they're all in love with the song and they all take it as a challenge. How are we going to do that? You know, how are we going to do it with just acoustic guitars? And they just keep talking about it as if it's an absolute touchstone for all of them something they've all grown up with. Dylan, too. One of the most beautiful things he said about the song at one point is he said, you know, when I play it with Joan Baez, it doesn't even occur to me that I wrote that song. It's just like, like an old folk song that was there. And I happened to learn it and I played it. Lots of other people learned it. And this is saying, you know, I wanted to be part of the folk tradition, the anonymous folk tradition, where there's songs out there and anybody can sing them in any way they like. And I became part of that when I sang this song, as opposed to when I wrote this song. That's a marvelous thing to say. Another remarkable performance came in 1997 when Pope John Paul II invited Bob Dylan And afterwards, the Pope gave a sermon about the song. And what did Pope John Paul II say? Well, he actually didn't perform Blowing the Wind for the Pope. He performed a couple of other songs. But the Pope says, after Dylan's performance is finished, you know, one of your representatives has told me that the great question of your life is how many roads must a man walk down? And the Pope says, yes, that is a great question. There's only one road, the road of Jesus Christ, because he is the life, he is the truth. And, you know, it wasn't very long after that, that Bob Dylan would be saying exactly the same thing. He would be saying, Jesus Christ is the light, he is the truth, he is the way. I just thought that was a fabulous irony. (laughs) Yeah, I did Um, too. Not so much for Bob Dylan's life. It's pretty much an open secret that this book is about songs. It's not about Bob Dylan's inner life. It's not about his private life. There may be descriptions of what kind of situation he was in when he wrote or performed a given song. But really the question is, what sort of person would one have to be to write this song or to write that song? because these songs brought something new into the world. And that was a responsibility of a single individual, not you, not me, not anybody else. And there's a way in which the cliche of he made that song his own doesn't apply to the dozens and hundreds of people who've recorded Bob Dylan's songs and Blown in the Wind in particular. 
they're all referencing an original. And yet there is still this sense that it isn't an original at all, that it was always there. There's one other performance that you talk about in your book, Folk Music, a Bob Dylan biography in seven songs. November 4th, 2008, the night Barack Obama was elected president. Bob Dylan was playing a live concert in Minneapolis at Northrop Auditorium on the campus of the University of Minnesota. You were there. Tell us about that performance of Blowing in the Wind. Well, it was an extraordinary night. It's election night. The newspapers are telling us that Barack Obama is going to win the election. Nobody believes it. Everybody is terrified that it won't be true. I think people are afraid that it will be true. What will happen? The United States electing a, a black president? Is the country going to split apart? I mean, it was a tremendously fraught night. And yet here is Bob Dylan performing at the University of Minnesota, uh, where he had briefly attended. The first time he had ever played that campus in his entire career. And, you know, at, at the end of the show, he gives a little introduction. He talks about being born in 1941, being a little kid when the atom bomb was dropped and living in a world of darkness ever, ever since. And then he says, but I think things are going to change now, echoing Barack Obama's campaign slogan. Then he sings Blown in the Wind, and then the show is over. Well, it ends about seven or eight minutes before 10 o'clock. And 10 o'clock is when the networks are going to call the election because all the polls will have closed. And so everybody files out into the entrance area of Northrop Auditorium. It's very, very big. And there's a huge TV set up uh, above the crowd. And at 10 o'clock sharp, the news comes on. Barack Obama has been elected president. Bob Dylan arranged his show so that there would be time for people to file out and see that and join this historic event. He didn't, you know, stop playing at 9.30. He didn't go five minutes too long. He had it timed perfectly so that his show would join this event and this event would join Blowing in the Wind. You end your new book with the song Murder Most Foul from 2020. That's the song that begins, It Was a Dark Day in Dallas, November 63. The CD has JFK on the cover. It was Dylan's first original music released in eight years. It was the longest song he ever released, almost 17 minutes. You quote Elvis Costello saying the song brought him to tears and saying, quote, what I don't understand is saying it's about JFK. It's a bit like saying Moby Dick is about a whale, close quote. Elvis Costello is talking, I think, especially about the second part of the song where Bob calls into Wolfman Jack requesting records to be played. What did he request? Well, you never know who the voice is. You don't know who's speaking. There's a way in which this entire song all 17 minutes of it, or 17 years, or 17 lifetimes, depending on how you hear it, is really in the voice of President Kennedy after he's been shot the first time, but before he's been shot the second time. In other words, he's not dead. He may be unconscious, he may be completely 
um, frozen in shock. And yet his brain is saying, what's happening? Why is this happening? And he's saying to his assassin or his assassin, boys, do you know who I am? I mean, do you realize what you've just done to me? So it may be JFK calling into Wolfman Jack, not Bob Dylan at all. And it could be Bob Dylan. You just don't know. Somebody is calling into Wolfman Jack saying, you know, got to hear this song. You've got to play this. And you've got to tell the story. You've got to tell the story of the whole country. You've got to somehow capture this moment and redeem it. And so I want to hear Mystery Train by Elvis Presley. I want to hear John Lee Hooker. Uh, I want to hear Stevie Nicks. One person said, I wonder how Stevie Nicks is going to feel being included in this song. Everybody else is dead <laughs> and almost everybody else is. And it goes on and on and on through folk songs and uh, Only the Good Die Young by Billy Joel. And it's just this wonderful kind of where's Waldo of, of our shared culture. And you don't want it to stop. He said, well, what about this? What about 40 miles of bad road? What about Waterloo Sunset? You know, what about this may be the last time by the Rolling Stones? How could you leave that out? And you realize as you listen to the song that you don't leave that out. This song goes on forever. What's the last song that the person calling into Wolfman Jack requests? Murder Most Foul. Play Murder Most Foul. Wonderful. And of course, to make it work, as soon as the 17 minutes of Murder Most Foul ends, you should have another 17 minutes. It should just go on and on and on. Griel Marcus, his new book is Folk Music, a Bob Dylan biography in seven songs. He's written almost 20 books. I think this one is the best. Griel, thanks for this book. And thanks for talking with us today. Well, thank you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.